This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Hi, welcome to Roar to Win. This is Michelle Nagel, your host, and today I have as my guest, Susan Swan James, and she's a power presence mentor. Susan Swan James is a conscious filmmaker and coach. She's held down 47 distinct jobs. In addition to working 25 years in film and TV production, the two distinct branches of her training are in writing, editing, scriptwriter, as a new columnist, advertising and promotion on the one side, and on the second side, her experience is an outward appearance as she's worked as a model agent, film crew booking agent, makeup artist, choreographed fashion shows, TV host, directed car commercials, and documentaries. In short, the power of Susan's skill set is the ability to shape your presence on camera, on stage, in writing, and in person. Susan has developed resiliency and resourcefulness through living a lot of challenges in life, including the premature birth of her daughter, who was born at 26 weeks, weighing two pounds. She went on to be trained and matched with other parents by Mount Sinai Hospital to provide peer support. From there, Susan became a coach and coached other preemie parents from many parts around the world. Susan is a certified grief recovery specialist and a life-transformed coach. Susan's the co-author of Isla's Story, the story of her daughter's 137 days stay in the neonatal intensive care unit after birth. In addition, Susan wrote The Pathfinder's Roadmap, which is a 78-page workbook based on the six-part system she created to creating your, your heart's desire. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. That is an amazing bio, and it sounds like like the 47 different jobs is like you can pretty much do anything. <laughs> Maybe. Um, it is slanted towards certain skill sets. <laughs> There's no engineering in there. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. There might be. I've actually, actually, when it comes to being a, a, a modeling agent, there was engineering involved in that because you had to engineer the models. <laughs> really, that's, that's what some garments do is engineering. Yeah, so. yeah that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just really, my, I'm really curious. Um, 137 days stay in the hospital with your daughter was, that would have been incredibly intense. How much did she weigh when she finally was able to go home? She was 10 pounds because 137 days is five months. And, uh, you know, every baby loses weight after they're born. So she went down, dipped down. And we kept a little chart beside her bedside that had her weight every day. So we, one of the things that we did um, is weigh her. I mean, that's what they do anyway, but we would when we go in and uh, we kept a, a chart, which we still have a record of what her weight was every day. So every time, she gained wow. it was good they had to put her on um uh like a supplemental um it wasn't food um she was just strictly on breast milk but they had supplement um like vitamin supplements and whatever else they do to help her gain weight and luckily she did gain weight as she was as she was there but they told us she'd be there about two and a half months and she was there five so wow it was to build up her lungs that they really wanted her to grow weight quickly mm-hmm Wow, that, that's incredible. 
And that would have been just such a, a challenging time. So you have quite a bit of experience in resilience and resourcefulness then. It was grueling. I imagine, yes. So I've heard you referred to as a power presence mentor. What does it mean to have presence? What do you mean by that exactly? Well, you know, you can imagine possibly what that might mean. It might be standing out in a crowded market, having clarity above, you know, above other people and having confidence. But it's also, um, it's also a little bit more than that for me. Um, it's also play on the word presence. So a three part, you know, being present, you know, not worrying about the past because then we can't do and not worrying about the future, which is just kind of creating what we don't want. You need to be present because that's all we really have, which that was a learning curve actually for me to learn just that. Um, but also having inner presence and being tuned in to our inner guidance. Um, we really know what we want. Um, we just kind of stuff other things down and other people's opinions and what we think people want us to do, you know, and whatever trauma or whatever, and we stop listening to that. So it's tuning into that as well. And also our spiritual creative presence, however you define that, there is a core within us that is spiritual and creative. And that, when we tune into it, helps us create greater than we've ever dreamt possible. So, um, yeah, it's all those three things wrapped into that, as well as I really help people. Um, I help them with the outer core, and that's the dressing on the outside of the door. But I'm also really working on an energetic level level and um, um, personal development level, your inner game and your inner resilience um, to, to, um, to have confidence because that is the most important key to our success. And mm -hmm. women really, um, in particular, um, can benefit from, from that. We've kind of been trained socially to be otherwise. Yes, that's definitely <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, in reference to saying, uh, you know, talking about a man, they often would talk about their confidence. And when they refer to a woman who's probably doing the same thing the man is, it's often given a pejorative term. It's not a, it's not a compliment. And exactly. yeah, and that's so that's really um that's really a challenging thing. So I really was impressed that you, you say there are three different phases to presence. I never really thought of it that way before. Um, of course, you're completely accurate, but um, it's, why does that matter? Uh, you know, when I, when you walk into a room, uh, some people can do this. When they walk into a room, every, like every head turns to look at them, not because of the way they're dressed or anything, but because they just command presence. And that's one that we think of often, I think. Um, but the, the spiritual presence I had not thought of. The uh, being present is really important. And a lot of us just totally skip over that one completely and live out of our head instead. So why is it so important to develop presence in the, all three of those areas? Well, it's, it's um, you know, one, we want to be successful in what we do. Um, and we want to have a positive impact. I think most people I know want to, are here to help others and do good in the world. And, and they want to be successful at that. And so when we have 
presence and we can command attention that way in a positive way, um, we can help facilitate that more quickly. I, you know, I was just thinking earlier today, um, a great example of presence is um, the new Prime Minister of New Zealand, um, Jacinda, um, oh, I've forgotten her last term, um, uh, Laderne, Laderna, I think, I can never say it, I, oh, yeah, we <laughs> said it correctly, um, oh, Ardern, it's not Laderne, it's Ardern, um, and she is really setting a new model for women about what it is to be powerful and successful and yet do it from a place of compassion and moving forward. I mean, um, I mean, she's only been in office for 18 months and she's delivered a baby and still hasn't slowed down in delivering, being successful at what she does. And they just went through a horrific week last week with the terrorist attack at Christchurch. Mm -hmm. And um, within five days, semi-automatic semi weapons are banned. Uh, yeah. in a country that believes in carrying guns. So the whole, she's not doing it in a forceful way. She finds a way to be compassionate and compelling and to move forward and create change that mm -hmm. is in the interest of her. She's always doing it for the interest of, the best interest of, of her fellow countrymen. Right. Um, but at the same time, she's doing it in a new way that is not the model that men have shown and, you know, good for men doing it the way that they've done it. But for many, for hundreds of years, women, thousands of years, women have tried to model men in their successful way. And we just operate differently. So mm -hmm. I think it's important to learn how to operate from a place of power within yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, what is your personal code? What is your personal code of integrity? It doesn't mean necessarily that it's the law, um, although it can't be. Um, and I don't mean to be a rule breaker, <laughs> but um, but like for instance, I think an example of that with about breaking the rules, but doing it with integrity. My grandmother used to run the um, the cafeteria um, at the high school, mm -hmm. and um, she went through a lot of difficulty in her lifetime. She raised ten kids; seven of them were her own. She gave birth to. Um, she lived through the depression, and then she ended up when our kids went home. She worked at this cafeteria. And um, when she died, when in her 90s, um, I didn't get there in time. But one of the nurses told me, I remember Mrs. James. She was, she said she always knew which kids had a tougher time at home and didn't have as much to eat. And she said she always put a second scoop of, um, you know, mashed potatoes and gravy on their plate. So there's an example of showing compassionate and creating a difference within her scope. Um, and breaking the rules because she wasn't supposed to give extra food to some kids and not the others. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's, it's just um, working within your code, your personal code. Um, yeah. Um, being authentic and transparent um, in this time is really important. Um, yeah. I, I'm not sure if I've answered all the questions. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, it, it made me think of, um, self-sacrifice, which women do an awful lot. Um, yes. Give up who we are really in order to be who we think we should be or who somebody else thinks we should be, which is more often the case. Um, and so the fact that your grandmother was able to find a way to be compassionate within 
the area in which she was working. And then the prime minister that you mentioned is also able to be compassionate. Um, also, a lot of times women still get into their heads that they have to, uh, in order to compete with men, they have to be like men. And we are so completely different. How do you, um, how do you navigate the being feminine because we are and also being uh, having that, that presence and being successful? It's something that I've, well, I'm still working on it. I, my dad was military. And so we grew up in a house with rules <laughs> mm -hmm. and timelines. And uh, I was not a kid that followed those things easily. Um, and of course there's a lot of male energy, you know, um, and of course then when you get out in the work world then there's also um male energy and predominantly the people that i worked with were men and mm -hmm. so what worked for them and what seems successful it seems logical to say well this is what works so just do it this way mm -hmm. but there came and i am a recovering uh type a goal-oriented hard-driving personality i would drive myself around the clock mm -hmm. uh, to the point of exhaustion and illness um and the saving grace is that my daughter was born premature and i had to stop that <laughs> oh, <a laughs> <You blessing. know? laughs> there's a blessing because i had to, i basically traded my 14 hour days for 14 hour days in the hospital but then when she came home she was waking up five, six, seven times a night, and I couldn't start a business or start something to make money from home that was not going out and working um, because I would wait till she went to sleep, but then she would wake up. And so mm -hmm. I would just be going to sleep and she would wake up. Right. And so I had to find another way. Mm -hmm. So having said that, um, it's really important to find your own path and to be, um, to find a new way of being and to be feminine, just as you say, um, and to be okay with it. And I think it's a personal journey that everyone goes through on their, their own. I remember a coach telling me that I needed more feminine looking glasses even. Like hmm. she was trying to change. I used to wear like armored suit jackets and hard looking glasses. And I look very different than I do today. Um, just because I was only focusing and fearful that if I didn't have my suit of armor on, because I didn't, if I didn't dress a certain way mm -hmm. and show up in the world in that way, I felt like, well, one, I felt exposed. Um, and I felt that I wouldn't be taken seriously, mm -hmm. but really it was all me being judgmental of myself. And so mm -hmm. when people showed up expressing that to me, that this or that, that, that I already believed was true of myself, imagine that people would show up and ex say those things to me. And it wasn't that they were trying to be mean to me. I just really believed it so strongly in my insecurity and my, my low self-esteem that I attracted people that spoke to me in the words that I feared I would hear. Yeah. And it's the opposite of what we think. Uh huh. It is. It's really amazing. And I appreciate that you brought up that it's, um, that it's, the fear that you already had was true about yourself is what people would. And, and that does just throw you for a loop because it's, it's justification and it, it, it proves it. It's like, this is what I believe about myself and see that person just proved it because that's what they said. So, exactly. 
Um, I have a, uh, I can't see very well right now with when it shows your picture, but I don't think you have green hair. Do you have green hair? No, not today. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, so if I were to say, Susan, that green hair looks really, really, really bad on you and you really need to go dye your hair immediately. What would your normal thought be? Well, right now I'd laugh my head off. Um, or I would just say, well, thank you for your input, you know, but in the past I would have really, I would have taken that to heart. I would have thought that I needed to, I would consider it. I would, which is a very interesting thing because see, yours, and I've discovered this with people that I do, do the, I do this test with is I say something about the green hair. They don't have green hair. They have never had green hair. And yet they take into consideration that I might be telling them some way to improve themselves. I'm yes. not. What it is, no. is I'm out to lunch and my <laughs> eyesight may be really bad. I can't see you. Right. Um, and, and, but what it does is it triggers on your fear that there's something wrong with you. That's right. If I was feeling, you know, bulletproof and self-confident, then somebody saying something like that, I may not even hear them say it. Mm-hmm. Or if they do say it to me, then I just kind of go, oh, isn't, aren't you cute? <laughs> and I just, I just let it roll off me, right? Uh-huh. Right. But on a t- if it's on a topic that I feel self you know, low self-esteem about, then what I do is I go, oh, and I pause and I think about it and I consider it and I take it to heart and, you know, it bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, so when that happens, I just kind of remind myself who I really am and just let it go. Um, but, you know, I'm human. So there's still sometimes things that do trigger me and um, I just recognize those and let them go because, well, it's been a lot of personal work to get to the place where it doesn't bother me anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I appreciate you bringing that up so that we could talk about that. So yeah, it's important. Uh, People yeah. talk about, Oh, that person's doing something to me and I'll go on and on and on about what that person has done to them. Right. And you know, it's just important for them to realize that they co-created it in a certain, uh, to some level, like it's not their fault but um, yeah, I just yeah, <laughs> I just think it's important. I think I, I'm just an example. I'm trying to how to diplomatically phrase it. But you know, when my marriage <laughs> fell apart, <laughs> I'm Canadian after all. <laughs> um, when my marriage fell apart, I was really really angry, and it was really nasty for like a good eighteen months. We were in court all the time, and. Neither one of us could agree on anything. If one of us said the sky was blue, the other would say it was black. And there was no sense of um, no middle ground anywhere. And when I was with, you know, working with a coach, she had me look at all that and write down, you know, all the things that, you know, I felt my ex-husband had done to me. And then she asked me, well, when have you done any of these things? Go through each one and say, when have you done any of these things to somebody? Or, um, you know, when have you um, felt done something like that to yourself? And when I went through the whole list, I realized that my anger was not really anger with him. Actually, I had already realized that my anger was not with him, that I was angry with myself Mm -hmm. for seeing it 
and not doing something about it before. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was really angry with myself, but I was projecting it on him. And then I was really mad because I couldn't forgive myself and it wasn't, it was my fault, not his. So I couldn't blame him anymore. <laughs> right. You know, so, so it really, but it was a turning point because it made me realize that I am responsible for my own emotional well-being and that not that these things that other people are doing, it's not all strictly, uh, you know, it's not all, it's not a simple thing. It depends on the item and the person and everything, but it's just something that I did actually to some degree create myself. Right. So then I had to do the work to, you know, realize what, what steps to take from there. Yeah, there's a formula, which is E plus R equals O. We oftentimes can't control E, which is the event. So many times we can't do anything about it. The only thing we can control is the R, which is our response to it. Yes. And it is so much easier to blame somebody else. And that's a pattern that people fall into. And oftentimes... If you do take the time to look at it, you will discover that you definitely had a part in creating whatever that was. And I want to honor you that you were able to recognize that and accept that because that's pretty hard to do. It's, it's like you look at something that went south and it was really bad and, and realize that you helped create that. It was not the other person's fault. Alone. Alone, yeah. I mean, they're responsible for the behaviors, but my response to it was my responsibility right and so now we co-parent nicely and mm -hmm. that is a miracle on its own and so I'm just so very grateful that once I made the decision to move forward with that that mm -hmm. it now has created a peaceful life so that does create peace within me as I go because one it's my daughter benefits and we all benefit from right. this mm -hmm. but also I now know that I have the tools to take with me to the boardroom or, you know, right. mm -hmm. wherever I go with whoever I'm acting, react or, you know, interacting with. Right. And that's really an excellent example of, of that you gave us that you're able to show how, because you changed your responses, you changed the outcome. And yes. yeah. Um, so in addition to the examples, so you have been an on-air host and you've been able to, you've got lots of stories, I'm sure, from that. And you've also had your premature baby and other challenging moments that have come from that. So um, being homeless too, my goodness. So yeah. how did those experiences shape how you teach presence? Presence implies that you've got it all together. <laughs> and yes. those things don't sound like you had it all together at some point. <laughs> <laughs> No, I didn't. And you know what? None of us do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all, we're all a work in progress. And I think once we learn that and have compassion for that, um, and we can have compassion for other people and worry about them, but really we don't always have compassion for our own self and love ourselves because we hold ourselves to the standard that we have to drive ourselves to the ground and do everything for everybody else. I mean, which is good, but not to the detriment of our own health or, or teaching, other, you know, like our kids' life skills, you know, to mm -hmm. do everything for them. Right. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, 
it's helped me in layers. So, you know, when I had, when Isla was born and she was in the hospital, um, that was 13 years ago. Um, she, it was, I've done a lot, <laughs> a lot has happened since then. But, um, you know, on the very face of it, I got through all that with helping the other parents. Um, and, uh, but when I got home, what I discovered is that I could barely cope at home because I had spent all my effort helping the other parents. And that made me feel good because we were there so long that we were there with one group of parents and then they all went home. And then there was another group of parents that came in. So I would kind of help them and then they went home and then there was a third group of parents. So I'm still in you know touch with a lot of these parents. Um, but, um, you know, I, then I got home and I could barely cope for myself. I could barely take care of Isla. I kept her okay but even my husband at the time didn't know that like I wasn't going out of the house for a week at a time I wasn't showering I was like depressed and I had um, PTSD post-traumatic stress syndrome mm -hmm. and um, and you know just the sound of a truck backing up sounds like the beeping sounds of all the machines in the NICU so uh -huh. today I still recognize that when I hear it but I don't go into you know into a whirlwind um, being back in the, the intensive neonatal neonatal intensive care unit mm -hmm. uh, with all those sounds and worrying about whether my daughter was going to die, you know. Right. You know, sometimes she would almost, she would have difficulty five times an hour and they'd have to resuscitate her five times. And so you just, you didn't know what you were coming in every day. You didn't know what was happening. So for the first mm -hmm. while that she was there. So, mm -hmm. That, because I was highly functioning and I was able to help other people, I didn't help myself. So part of all that was learning how to care for myself. So that was one level. Um, mm -hmm. But then on a deeper level, then, of course, my marriage fell apart. And so then we learned all that I just discussed there. And, and uh, that is, is a deeper part. But then there were events that happened that, you know, I was struggling financially when you get separated you have are down to one income and then I wasn't having consistent income and so you know there was difficulty in in maintaining you know keeping the house that I was in and moving and there were times that I was seriously my inner guidance was guiding me to do things that just did not seem logical like the average person just would not do like uh, well in one case it was to pack up everything because both my parents were ill and to I got rid of everything and or put into storage and went to my hometown which is three hours away mm -hmm. and stayed at my parents home because my mom my mom was in a nursing home and my dad was in the hospital with one to six months to to live and um both of them passed with, within two months of each other mm -hmm. but um you know just to give up everything and then to really kind of be susan with no fixed address so mm -hmm. there was that at that point but um there was another time that i was guided to travel, you know, travel down to the States, down to North Carolina. Um, and I only had about half the money that I needed to, to go. Mm -hmm. um, and I was receiving promptings and, you know, guidance to do this. And it did not make logical sense to pack my daughter into a car and go driving down to North Carolina. It was for an event for the recording of music for the church that I belong to. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was purpose in it, but it was two days before I was supposed to go. And I finally made the decision to go. And when I made the decision, 
things started clicking into place. My fear had kept me from it. But within an hour of making the decision, someone sent me $100. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed $400 or I needed $800 for the trip, mm-hmm. but I only had $400 on me. And by the time I came back, I had received in services or reduced fees or cash handed to me $800. Wonderful. Yeah. And it just doesn't make logical sense to do that. Um, but it was like the process of having faith that I, that what I was being instructed to do was what I needed to do. Yeah, and it's amazing when you finally do make that decision, if this is the direction I'm going, then your brain, it clicks in and it's going, good, thank you, now I can help. (laughs) Exactly, exactly, that's right. So how do you use power presence when you're training a company? Well, that may seem like we've talked about things that don't seem like power presence. I I basically analyze the people, like, and I I can train a group of people or I can, I can train the executives, the CEOs and all that individually, um, or I could train a group of people, anyone in the company, any group of them, or, you know, I, I pick on the managers um, because they are really uh, instrumental in the success of the company. I mean, in addition to the mm-hmm. executives, um, I don't know if you know, but Gallup has come up with a statistic that the success of, you know, your employees, the retention, your success in retaining your employees, um, which is a huge cost. When someone leaves, it's like 30% of their salary to replace them. Um, 70% is dependent upon how skilled your manager is. Mm -hmm. So if you can imagine that, someone who's not that well-trained, you might have high turnover, low morale, that kind of thing, Um, not low productivity. All those things are basically... Um, helpful, you know, facilitated well if the manager is trained well. So how I can help is I basically take my film training and I combine it with my, you know, the dressing on the outside of the door is I will help you with your appearance, your voice, your speech, your, mm-hmm. your, your modulation of your voice, how you appear. But I also help people with change, adjusting their story. Um, and I'll give you an example because I used to do, I mean, still do resumes for people. Um, but there, there was um, a Polish immigrant who approached me to do a, a resume for her. Mm-hmm. She had been in Canada for two years. Mm-hmm. She did not, she could barely speak English. Um, and she was working as a waitress at a car dealership. So her resume said, I give people food. I take their money, I give them change. It was that basic level. So mm-hmm. I interviewed her and I found out what she did when she was in Poland. I found out that she she worked for a uh, uh, university, was very skilled in event planning, and I took all of her transferable skills. And then she also wanted to be working for, as an accountant for a multi um, uh, uh, multinational corporation within five years. Mm-hmm. It was very ambitious. Um, but it, on the outset, she does not look like a prospect. So I shaped her story and everything that went into it, including the font and how I laid the words I used and how I laid everything out on her resume, her um, cover letter, everything was designed towards shaping her story about what her skill set was. I also coached her about, in a North American interview, this is what you need to do. This is how you show up. This is how you walk in. This is what you do not take in. This is what you take in. That kind of thing. 
-hmm. And this is how you answer questions. Um, so she applied for one job. She went for one interview and she was given, um, she was, um, she secured the job of a, an accountant. She was not an accountant. She secured the job of an accountant in a uh, mid-sized corporation. Mm -hmm. And then three years later, she called me to do her resume for her next job. <laughs> and she sent her husband to me who, you know, he was changing industries. So, you know, so that is the power. So it's hard to express precisely how it is I do, but it's as if I break down the character, which is you, into a, a film character and analyze how would you behave in this thing? So this is the words that you're going to use. This is the wardrobe that you're going to use. This is going to how you do your makeup. This is going to how you walk out on the stage based on your character, which is you, but based on what you truly want. So in a corporation, that would be, one, analyzing the mission statement and the vision of the company because you want to have it be on track with their branding. But you also want that individual to be have the integrity of their own branding, which is... Um, not exactly the same as the company, but very similar. So right. they have to be distinct so that they can understand that they are a distinct person. Right. Um, they're not just like some carbon cutout of their company. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's how I do. I, I basically do. We have a. I have a five-step program, and you basically go through and and break down all of that, figure out what they want to do. Then we actually practice it. <laughs> we do improv. Mm -hmm. um, so we learn improv so that people can get ability to agility to respond quickly, um, even if it's at the water cooler when your boss is asking you, are you prepared for tomorrow's meeting? Do you have this in place? Um, when we're confronted that way, um, we go into fight or flight reaction. And statistically, your IQ drops 34%, which is why when you feel stupid, when somebody asks you something and you feel you're in a conversation, situation you're like you feel like you've forgotten your name that's why our our IQ actually drops and it's so that we will based on our you know back in the caveman days we didn't stick around to analyze the tiger we ran instead so um, you know it drops your IQ so you take action um, but we don't need that at the water cooler but we do need to be able to respond in a coherent way that's grounded and so I basically educate people how to, what habits to drop doing and then how to breathe, how to visualize. Um, you know, there's basically steps that I have them start doing that over weeks will soon become natural. And then we look at their scripting um, and then we practice it and then we tweak it for whether they're going to be on camera or on stage, um, in person, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We also focus their, their branding too, all their bios and their, whether, how they, how they're written on their social media platforms. Mm -hmm. Great. We'll talk about more about that in a minute. We need to take a break. And we um, please come back and join us as we continue to interview Susan Swan James.
Do you feel like you're drowning in administrivia? Do you have a podcast you would like transcribed to repurpose as a blog or even a best-selling book? Rhonda's virtual office is the answer to the freedom you crave so you can get busy doing what you love. Let Rhonda's virtual office give you the relief you need. Visit rondasvirtualoffice.com and get some peace of mind today. Rhonda's virtual office is the go-to transcription service for EWN Podcast Network. Welcome back. This is Michelle with Nagel with Roar to Win. And today we are interviewing, interviewing Susan Swan James, who's the Power Presence Mentor. And she's been giving us some really great ideas. And I had a question that um, you were talking about how you help the, uh, the managers get their work on their presence. And it usually starts with looking how they look but then you do the inner work on them so that they can actually work with employees and things. So what kind of businesses would use this kind of training? Well, maybe not everyone. I mean, everyone could benefit from it, of course, but um, you know, a a corporation that finds it important to be transparent and authentic, um, one that, um, one that focuses on high performance. Um, They may, find my techniques a little bit opposite of what they're used to. <laughs> they're not necessarily what we were talking about, male-oriented, um, uh-huh. typical lines. And it doesn't mean that they're all men, but it's like the, t- the typical platform for how you push through and do things. And that's how I used to behave. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some, for companies that are open to um, learning a better way to make sure that their um, employees and their C-suite are fully prepared to take their business to the next level, next level and ones that want to really progress um, and improve their bottom line. So what do you think is the biggest mistake that people make in creating their power presence? Um, not paying enough attention to their story. They want to know what to wear. And, you know, like we were talking, you could put the suit on and, but still feel insecure within yourself and still be, um, uh, you know, it's like a mask, but just putting on a suit or, you know, a nice outfit, a nice dress, whatever it is that you wear um, and having everything done um, gives you the beginning of, of confidence. And that's, that's where we start, but we really want to develop the inner presence. So, um, so when you talk about um, their story, what do you mean yes. by that? So their story needs to be, like I was talking about Dagmara, the, the person that I helped with her, um, with her, um, uh, with her resume. Um, mm-hmm. a lot, I've helped people, I used to teach social media. Okay. Um, and what I found is the companies, often you get a lot of pushback. And in fact, I had pushback myself doing this for myself in just even finding like the avatar of your ideal client, just mm-hmm. going into in depth, people will say, well, I help everyone between age 25 and 65. Well, that's not a client profile. Right. That is a high school reunion. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, like that, that's just like, that's like shooting in the, like a shotgun, taking out everything. And that, that when you do not become specific, you don't appeal to anybody. Right. When you are specific, you will attract other people. There's going to be like, of course, there's going to be two tiers. Like when you make a film, you find out who is the target art audience for that film. And then who's the secondary and tertiary and 
all the other there's going to be other clients that are going to come to you as well but you want to know that one person that you're going to talk to so by the same token you know and you want to know how they behave and what they think you want to know the psychographics of like how they would respond in a certain situation and by the same token you want to analyze yourself that way and so I think that is what people kind of shove to the side. It's work because you have to really think through um, yourself or mm -hmm. your company um, and what really makes you tick. And is it in line with your, mess your mission? Is your mission just words? Or is it really an integral part of you? And when you do this, when you pay attention to the story, the story within you, then it unfolds in other areas of your life you find that you, your presence is expanding into your personal life and to your, with your kids. And in other areas, we aren't just one compartmental piece that only functions in this area at work and for the company. Mm -hmm. it, it is a way that you become, that you're able to care for other people. So it's really important to pay attention to that storyline and to do the, the exercises um, fully. And the more you do them, the better you get out of it. And the more you can really hone in on what it is that your service that you're offering mm -hmm. your clients and who they really are. So you are a coach and a filmmaker. Do you still do filmmaking? Is that correct? <laughs> I find a way to balance them. <laughs> um, but not always right now I'm predominantly doing the coaching, but I do. And I, as you might've guessed, I put in some of the modalities, you know, teaching improv, um, mm -hmm. you know, starting with, with things that are fun, people learn more when they're fun. But I do have other projects. I do have other documentaries that I'm fulfilling and I'm creating a new documentary genre. Um, and so there will be all that coming out in, in the coming years. Um, it's just not going full force ahead with it right now. Mm -hmm. So, and it will be actually combining, um, this one project that I'm working on is going to combine coaching other people while we're also doing the documentary. So it will be, yeah, it'll, it'll be, I can't just chop off my filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> it, has to be, it has to work somehow. Yes. So in what situations do you use your power presence just in your day-to-day -day life? Yeah, I do. I mean, I use them for, you know, not just like keynote speaking, um, but I also use it when I'm doing my webinars or, um, even just in sales presentations in particular, because you want to develop that trust and rapport with people. Mm -hmm. um, but even just when I'm going to networking meetings or speaking to someone in the grocery line, mm -hmm. um, it really does, it's, it just becomes a part of you. And just like you said, the example where you use where someone walks in the room and they kind of light up the room, mm -hmm. that's what starts to happen. And so you start to build your currency um, in your ability to ha have presence and to facilitate change. And so that may just be translated into a great home life for you and your family, and that is what you want. But if there's other things that you want to create in your life, it will help open all that up too. Do you have any suggestions for people who have um, gone through something really, really painful and difficult and just kind of feel like they've been run over by a truck too many times? And trying to come up with presence on top of feeling like that is just impossible to do? It, it can be overwhelming. Um, and that's where you just kind of take it step by step. And um, you just have to 
be compassionate with yourself and acknowledge where you are in that moment. Mm -hmm. um, you and just acknowledge that you're feeling pain and that for now it's enough just to breathe and that's okay. Um, you may want to work with somebody, find somebody, a coach to work with or someone that can like, certainly if you need um, medical assistance with treatment, that kind of thing, then that's fine. Mm -hmm. But, um, but you may decide to work with a coach or somebody that can help you through that process, help you see, help you pull back to see the bigger picture and how mm -hmm. it functions. Um, because when you start to be able to see it from another perspective um, and you can reframe your position, that's when you can transform things. That's where your, your power is in that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So on um, just the beginning first steps that a person would do would be um, because I would, I, when you were talking about speaking to somebody in the grocery line, I was thinking, well, yeah, we have those kind of interactions all day long with people that we meet as we go through our day. Um, and so having practicing your presence is a practice, I would imagine. It's a practice. And where do you begin? You begin with being patient with yourself. Because um, you begin also listening to that voice in your, oh, well, one way, one good thing is you can, when you have a thought, think, was that, did I decide that? Where did that thought come from? Mm -hmm. Was that, if it's an automatic thought, it's generally speaking your ego or your programming that you already have about how you typically respond to something. Mm -hmm. the, you know, someone would say, would, would you like to do that? You go, oh, I'd love to do that. But but just kills all the, you know, the forward motion that you're gaining towards achieving whatever it is that you want. A lot, and when you catch yourself having that automatic response, I could never do that. I'm not good enough. I've never been trained in that. I don't know how to do that. It would take years. You know, whatever that automatic response is, that's your ego. And that's mm -hmm. not the truth. So uh, we can get frustrated because we, can, we start paying attention to that. We hear it like every minute because um, <laughs> it, it's a nonstop. And so just to acknowledge that that's my that's my automatic spot and to breathe and to just kind of i want to say expand your heart if you could just breathe and close your eyes and imagine your heart being a little bud of a rose and imagining it open up that's that could help you to feel like you're opening your heart mm -hmm. ask your heart what do you want to do mm -hmm. and you will get a totally different answer you certainly will. And that's, that's the step to take. And take it right away because it doesn't mean do it in two weeks or when you feel better. It means do it now. Mm -hmm. And it might seem odd. It might seem like irrational. But when you take it, then um, something magical happens. Mm -hmm. Like even it could be even something simple like I received a check in the mail for $1.54 the other day. <laughs> and my response would be to put it in my wallet and to carry around until I was near a bank. But something prompted me go to the bank right now. And I thought, really? For $1.54? So off I went to the bank. I just followed it. And I went to the bank. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to go into the store next door. And I found some hair conditioner that my daughter wanted on sale for $2. <laughs> and so it wasn't something that's a big deal, but it was important to my daughter. And it was important to me to find it, but I hadn't gotten around to doing it. And there it was right there. Mm -hmm. So it can be something as seemingly simple and unimportant as that, but it was important to my daughter. And so it, big things or small things, it's all the same. It works the same way. Yeah, and that's um, 
we cannot reach our intuition or those promptings that you talk about in our head. We can't do that from an ego state. It is only a heart state that we can do that from. Yeah. And, and the heart state is also where you get the promptings of what should I do next? So if your life has gone differently than you wanted it to, ask your heart. Your heart knows. Yes. Yeah. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. I had to, had to smile. I'm a, a certified heart math trainer. So I don't oh. know if you've heard of heart math, but <laughs> I have. And I've been wondering about what that is, actually. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. And it's basically is how to, how to live a heart-based uh, life and it teaches you how to deal with stress and, and builds your resilience and stuff like that. So excellent. So I was delighted when you started talking about the heart. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's, that's um, where if you do that one thing, you can change everything because mm -hmm. you can, it'll help you stop to reset yourself, to listen to your heart and to take steps that are really aligned with yourself um, and to grow confidence in, in listening to your intuition and that, that your inner gut is telling you what you really need to do and to realize that there is no mistakes. Everything is part of what's preparing you for what you're going to do next. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So um, you did tell us that you're still in film and TV production. You're going to continue working on that. So do you have any words of advice for our listeners that would help them so that they can um, create their, their presence? Well, I think which is what we we're just talking about the listening to your heart. I think that is like really key. Okay. Um, start listening, to, listen to your heart, ask your heart um, who your true self is. Start making notes, journal, journal about that. And then you'll kind of get, you'll start to be doing the work actually to figure out who your true self is. Mm -hmm. And then kind of imagine it like a, a film character. Um, um, this isn't the answer I was going to give you like what I was thinking of, but this is like <laughs> how I would do it. Listen to what you're feeling like to analyze like a film character and how would that character respond? Mm -hmm. Like um, when you think about an actor versus a star, a star when they're in a movie will always puts their coat on the same way, mm -hmm. but the actor actually puts the coat on differently. The actor puts the coat on the way their character would put the coat on. Right. Not the way they do it every day. So mm -hmm. think about that. Think about who you are. And uh, think about what that means, what decisions you would make, um, and play with that a little bit. Um, and think about well, how would that character dress? Am I dressing? Is my wardrobe like that character's? Or mm -hmm. is it just kind of what I think? Am I settling for what I think I deserve? Or, or am I actually going out and choosing, making choices that are representing me, how I would look or how I would be, um, in, in integrity with who I really am. Well, that's really powerful because if you want to redesign yourself, that's a perfect way to do it. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and I asked the question, how do you feel about this event that just happened? And the person launched into telling me how their parents felt about it. And I, I kept, I, I, I just was astonished. Like that isn't what I asked you. Yeah. And so I asked it in a different phase, a different, different way. And then they started telling me how their siblings felt about the, the and, and I'm just like, <laughs> I didn't ask you that either. It's like, like this individual is so removed from his own feelings. 
And yes, we get to, we get that way. We put ourselves in a box and it's like we never open the door. We never never peek in to see who's really in there and how do you feel about these things. So I really love that your suggestion of uh, becoming a, a character and and how would that person dress? How would that person, how would they look? How much would they weigh, you know, to, to really get into the, the character of who you want to be? So that really resonates with me because I've, I've done a lot of acting. So I really appreciate the point, you know, pointing us in that direction. So do you have something that you would like to, um, if our guests would like to get in contact with you, which I would recommend that you do, by the way, um, how can they reach you? Well, right now, the best way to reach me is via my email um, and uh, just reach out to me. Uh, if, if you would like to do a um, discovery session of, you know, if you are curious after this conversation, and even though I've given some steps, you still have, you know, a question about what would be specific for you. I don't always do this, I, uh, but I would offer a complimentary strategy session. Um, it has a $550 value. And um, I, it would be my extreme pleasure to assist you so that you to, would know your next best, best step or steps to take to move you in the direction to developing your, um, your personal presence. There's no obligation. It's just to assist you. Um, if you wanted to find out more about you know, how I would work, then that's fine. But if you, I would really just be my honor to give you a, your next best step or steps that you should take that would help you on your way to developing your personal presence because it will transform your life. Wow, that's very generous. Thank you very much. And remind me again, or our listeners again, how they can reach you. One more oh, time. and I didn't tell you my email address because <laughs> <laughs> I was so keen to tell you how much I wanted to help. <laughs> so my email address is susanswanjames at outlook.com. So I'm going to spell that for you. It's S U S A N. S-W-A-N, like the bird, J-A-M-E-S, at Outlook.com. Susan Swan James at Outlook.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Susan, for being with us today and giving us such great tips. And I hope that you guys will um, get in contact with Susan. Being able to have that one-on-one conversation with her would be very valuable for you. And it's very generous of her to make that offer. So thanks very much, and we'll talk to you again sometime. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries, and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.